Father God, we are grateful that we know we're going to see a victory because the battle is yours. God, we know we're in a constant war, but we have you, and we know the end. What a beautiful thing that is. God, may you be praised and glorified this morning. Pray it all in your name. Amen. You guys can be seated as you're seated. You're going to see here to my left is a man by the name of Keith Williams, and maybe you know Keith. Uh, Keith is one of our trustees, and uh, he has the privilege of coming and telling us about a new way, or at least new to us, way of doing our budget. Our budget time is coming up, and uh, we'll have a meeting on Sunday, December 5th, which is the Sunday, uh, the first Sunday, obviously, in December, but the Sunday after uh, Thanksgiving weekend, and we'd love for you to be a part of that, but I would love for Keith to explain why we're doing it the way we're doing it and why it's important. So, Keith, I'm going to turn it over to you. Well, so that I don't take much of Matt's preaching time, um, one of the ways the church has been doing budgeting for a long time is what's called line item budding, budgeting. That means uh, so much was given to children's ministry or youth ministry or worship, and uh, they look at giving, uh, look at trends financially, and either adjust it up or down and just move on. I approached Matt and the trustees about looking at budgeting from a different way and in terms of not dollars, but vision and ministry. And so all the ministry leaders are, are turning in their budget request. But the first thing that they did was look at the values and the vision and the mission of the church first. And they asked themselves, how does our ministry align with that? What are we doing that focuses on why Paragon exists and where, uh, what is important to Paragon in terms of, again, values and ministry. So it's a totally different way of looking at budgeting. It, it starts with vision and ministry. It doesn't start with dollars. And so when you come on December the 5th, you will see a budget that is fleshed out in terms of that priority. It's, it's a it's uh, Helen's in there so <laughs> our marriage has survived when I gave her the form she said this is too hard it's too much work yes it's much more work than what has been done in the past but as she and I think the children's ministry team has dealt with that they are they're feeling good about what they're doing because they're doing the hard work of ministry uh, in terms of aligning with a focus of, um, I see five minutes. I don't know what time's coming. So when you come on December the 5th, you're not just going to see black and white dollars. You're going to see people who have prayed over, thought through, and are recommending to you a a a plan of ministry and asking you as as members to give. Now, one of the things the trustees have talked about is that we know this time this year versus this time last year, financially our, our society is in a different place. You might be making the same salary, but those dollars are not as worth as much as they were. So we, we will just ask you to pray over what God has entrusted with you, that stewardship, and if what 
you see Paragon attempting to do in terms of ministry, let the Lord lead you and how you will give to support that. One last quick thing. Two of us who are on the trustee board are going to be rotating off in January. So we have a three-year term and a two-year term to fill. So if one of you feels that you have gifts in administration, um, the trustees oversee all of the building and ground stuff, all the financial stuff. We meet uh, quarterly, except for this time of year where we'll meet several times. But if that's something that you uh, feel that you would like more information about, see me or Pastor Matt. We would love to, uh, uh, on the 1st of January, have those slots filled, okay? Good? Yes, thank you, Keith. I appreciate that. And, um, you know, I appreciate the trustees team doing the business aspects of the church. Uh, one of my mentors growing up, um, as I first got started into ministry, he always told me, he's like, I love the church, but I hate the corporate church of America and just how everything is operated on dollars and business and so on and so forth. So when Keith came to me and said, hey, we've done this at previous churches, and I'm not sure if it's something that we want to consider. I said, absolutely. To say, this is why we do what we do. This is why we fund what we fund. It's for the mission. It's for the vision. It's for our, so people's lives can change and become more like Jesus. It's not just, hey, children's ministry had $1,000 last year. We should increase it by 10% and go to $1,100. You know, that, that, that's not the thinking. There's true thought and prayer going in behind it. So I'm so thankful for the team of, of doing this and, and figuring out why we do what we do and how we're going to fund it to make it happen. So um, crazy thing is there's an amazing coincidence. I, I always say that God works in amazing coincidences, but today's message actually fits right into it. Why do we do what we do? And that's really kind of where we're hanging out at today. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to open up to Philippians chapter three this morning. And as you're opening there, I want to ask you some questions. We've been asking questions this whole thing. I'm just going to let you know these are hard and they are pointed questions. And there's a lot of them. So you're going to be a bit overwhelmed like drinking from a fire hose as I throw all these out there. One of the things you're going to know, though, is that we've had an overarching question from the very beginning as we've done this mini-series on Fight the Good Fight. And that mini-series on Fight the Good Fight has based itself around this question. What does it actually mean to fight the good fight? What does it mean to fight the good fight? We've asked, what are we fighting for? We've asked, what are we fighting against? And even more so, does it even really matter? Does it really matter? And our question for today really kind of fits right into that. It fits into what Keith talked about with the 2022 budget. And that question is this, is, is what's the end goal? What is the end goal? Why do we do what we do? What's the purpose of all this? And why are we even here? I know that's a, that's a hard question, but what's the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of even doing a budget? What is the purpose of us meeting on Sundays or if you're watching on Sundays online, what is the purpose and what are the end goals? Why do we do it? There's so many other things that we could be doing on a Sunday morning. There's so many other things we could be doing with our money. There's so many other things we could be doing with our time. Why this? What is the end goal? And I'll make it even more personal and I'm gonna hit you right where it's at. What's the end goal of your life? Let's leave the church aside. What's your end goal? What are you pursuing and why? 
What is your life all about? And I know, like I said, that is a lot of questions to get tossed at. And first thing in the morning, it's a lot to really even process. But as we continue to fight the good fight, I think we have to know the why to continue as we follow Christ, to continue as we fight and press on in following Jesus. It's why is it important to know and live out this why? Because once we know the answer and then we have to put it into application, why is it important? You know, I'll throw out another question for you. As you live this life day to day, do you believe that life with Jesus is better than life without? I hope you say amen, absolutely. But the question is, is why? And you're gonna hear that a lot. You're gonna, you're gonna think I'm your seven-year-old kid, okay? I'm gonna ask why a lot today. Because I want you to think about it and I want you to process it and I want you to really begin to figure out how are we going to apply this? How are we going to make this happen? You know, when I said, do we believe that life without, with Jesus is better than life without him? The next question is, is do we live that out in our lives and how? Okay, so like I said, lots and lots of questions. Well, the great thing is I believe Paul answers these questions in our text today in Philippians chapter three, starting in verse one. And I'm gonna read through it, basically through the whole chapter. I'm gonna skip a few verses here and there, but as I read through the whole chapter, I'm just gonna stop and pause and kind of give you a little bit of backstory and a little bit of why he's writing it. So uh, the verses will stay up on the, on the screen, but as they're there, please know that I'll be pausing along the way. It says this in Philippians chapter three, verse one, in addition, the reason why it says in addition, and trust me, I'm not gonna do this every two words, but in addition, it says, you have to realize he's coming off of chapter two. Of course, he didn't write in chapters. He wrote one long letter. The letter was read to them. So he says, in addition to what I've just told you, and in chapter two, he's talking about, we need to be more like Jesus. Jesus lived humbly. Jesus lived selflessly. He stepped down out of heaven. He never thought that he was here to gain anything but to do the will of his Father. And we need to have that same attitude. So he's coming off of saying that. He says, in addition to that, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And rejoice in the Lord is a phrase you will see a lot of times in the book of Philippians. If you sit down and read it, it's only four chapters long. It's a great book. And as he writes it, he's saying, where do you find your joy? I want you, if you're going to live selflessly, if you're going to live humbly, if you're going to live in the mission of God, rejoice in that, that we have Jesus because life is better with Jesus than without. So he's laying this out there and he says, the reason why we rejoice is because we know the end of it all. Even in the middle of all the pain, even in the middle of all the heartache, even in the middle of, he's writing this from prison. As he's doing that, he's saying, rejoice in the Lord because we have him. He says, to write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Verse two says, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Basically saying, watch out for the ones who don't find joy in the Lord. Watch out for the ones who think you have to have addition to to find your happiness, to find your joy. You have to chase after the things of the world. You have to chase after personal gain. You have to chase after these things. Watch out for them because they're going to pull you away from that joy in the Lord. They're gonna say, is life with Jesus better than life without? And they're gonna probably say, no, not exactly, because we still have to do these things. That's gonna pull you away. So it goes on from there in verse three. He says, for we are the circumcision. 
Now, we talked briefly last week, and lots of parents probably had lots of questions to have to answer after church was over when I said, hey, this is what circumcision is. For any more questions, ask mom and dad. I will continue that very statement today. But here's what we did say. Circumcision is removal of a piece of flesh. Well, circumcision of the heart Circumcision is also a spiritual thing where we had the fleshly desires of our life removed when we became Christians. We are the circumcision. That is who we are. We are the ones who have a new heart and a new following in Christ. If you want a mark, because that was what circumcision also did, if you want a mark to say that you are a follower of Jesus, that's it. It's the new heart that we have. And this is what we get to do. We are the ones who worship by the Spirit of God. We are the ones who boast in Christ Jesus, and we don't put confidence in our flesh. We don't put confidence in our ways. So basically saying, hey, we're the ones that get to, not have to. We're the ones that get to worship. We're the ones that get to serve. We're the ones that get to praise Jesus. We're the ones that get to boast about Jesus. We're the ones that get to talk about why we do what we do. Because again, it comes back around to it. I don't know if you've ever had friends that have asked you a question of, why do you go to church on Sunday? Why do you do that? Why do you follow Jesus? Why? We get to. We don't have to. Because sometimes I think people see it as a have to. Of course, that goes back up to those dogs and the mutilators of the flesh and all that. They, they toss in the have to and all the burdens that come with it. So he says, we get to do this. But here's what he tosses it in verse 4. Although I have reason for confidence in the flesh... If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I love his confidence. I wouldn't call it arrogance. It's, it's, it's confidence. Uh, and in it, he basically says, if anybody thinks they can brag about their lineage, or if anybody thinks they can brag about their works, they don't have anything on me. Okay? And he goes into it and talks about it in verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day, the nation of, the, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. Now, these are all birth and privilege things that the people of the time would really know, and we can get into more detail about that another time. But as you see it, he's saying, my birth order, my privilege, all the things I have because of how I was born and how I was raised are bigger and better than anything you could possibly imagine. And then he starts talking about not just birth order, but he also talks about the works to come with it regarding the law of the Pharisee, regarding zeal persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is the law blameless now that's a pretty big word and some people are like what do you mean blameless what he means i followed the law so well that the only thing that i needed to on the places where i missed was sacrifices and so i was covered i was blameless that's the way i lived and so these are things that he could brag about these are things he could go to those dogs and those evil workers and the mutilators of the flesh and he could beat them at their own game and he's saying this to the people saying, I have accomplished more in the flesh than anybody else you know. I've done it. And at the time, he actually thought that's what he was supposed to be living for. But then guess what happens? He's on the road to Damascus to persecute the church. And you know what happens? He meets Jesus and his life changes. My guess is you all have the same testimony. And if you don't, we need to have a discussion this morning. When you met Jesus and your life changed. See, because he goes all the stuff that I did. It turns out those weren't trophies. Those were just participation trophies. And if you know anything about a participation trophy, and no offense to anybody who has one, but they don't really matter. I mean, they're just there. You, they're, they're not an actual, they're just, hey, you did it so you get this so you can walk away. 
They, they, they weren't the big deal. They weren't the actual prize. And then Paul goes on to say, I know the actual prize. Those things aren't worth nearly as what I thought they were. And so he says, but in everything that was gained to me, all those participation trophies that I thought were real trophies, I have considered to be, what's that next word? Loss. Why? Because of Christ. Because of Christ. These are the things that I thought that I was adding to my resume. These are the things that I thought were going to draw me closer to God. These are the things I thought were going to make him like me more. But then he realized they were actually in the way. Instead of helping the way, they were in the way. His pride was getting in the way, and it was more about him. And they were actually pulling him further from God, not closer. If you're into accounting, which I am not, and part of the reason why I'm so grateful for the trustees team, there is a ledger that has one side the gains and the other side the losses, okay? And he thought all of the things that he was doing were gains for God. But then he realized they're actually losses. They're actually getting in the way of all of this. And he said because Jesus became the center of his life, his whole perspective changed. His whole perspective changed. Um, I'm going to owe Peyton some money for talking about this, but Peyton has got his driver's permit. And um, we put him through one of the driving schools because of COVID. They don't do a whole lot of one-on-one, -on -one, so I have to do the one-on-one. -on -one. I am patient as to a point. And, and we're driving, and he's doing well, but, but one of the things that I've noticed... And it's something that apparently a lot of people do is he's hugging the curb on the side that I'm on. And yesterday I just said, dude, if you break off my mirror, it's 400 bucks and it's coming out of your pocket because I've told you to scoot over. That was my not patient side. And in the middle of that, I was talking actually with Craig, who's a truck driver. And he said, the problem is sometimes you put yourself in the center of the car instead of off to the side. And when you do that, you sh the whole car shifts over. So if you can put yourself on the left side of the car, it'll change your perspective on how you drive. And I began to think about that with Christianity. If I put myself on center, that changes my perspective of Christianity. But if I scoot over to the side and I let Jesus be the center, it changes how I see everything. It changes how I live. It changes how I work. It changes why I do what I do. And Paul says that. And he says this also in verse 8. He says, more than that, I consider everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung. So I may gain Christ all my personal accomplishments, all the things that I have, all the things that I do are worthless in comparison to knowing Jesus. Why? Because Paul believed with his everything that life with Christ was better than life without. And he didn't want anything to get in the way of that. Paul was willing to toss everything he had accomplished aside for Jesus. He was really willing to give up everything for the cause of Jesus. My question for you this morning, as I haven't asked you 45 already, here's number 46, is are you willing to give up everything for Jesus? Are you willing to toss everything aside and say everything else is worthless in comparison to who Jesus is? It's a good question, and we're going to get to it soon. Listen to what else Paul says. As he leads into verse 9, he wanted to be found in Christ. He wanted to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. 
the righteousness from God based on faith. I'm gonna just throw in some theological terms for you really quick, but this is called justification. This is called justification. To become righteous before God is only possible through faith in Christ. And Paul is laying that out there. Remember Paul said, I was blameless in the law. I was faultless in the law. But he also knew from writing the book of Romans, as well as studying the Old Testament, there's actually a writing in there in chapter three when it says, there is no one righteous. Do you know what the next words are? No, not one. That means he knew that already. He knew that about himself. He knew that nobody understands. He knew that nobody seeks God. He knows that everybody turned away and became worthless. Nobody does good, not even one. But, told you last week, there's big buts in the Bible, but it always focuses around God. But God, he gave us his gift through Jesus Christ, and that gift is received by faith. He goes on in verse 10. He says, my goal. By the way, our question today is, what's your goal? What's the end goal of your life? What is your goal? My goal is to know him. To know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. See, verse 9 was about justification. Another theological term pops up here in verse 10, and that is sanctification. Sanctification, the process of becoming more like Christ. And we're going to talk more about this shortly, but there's a guy by the name of J.A. Packer that wrote, wrote a book called Knowing God. As a matter of fact, our young adults went through it uh, not too, too long ago. But he said this in the book. He says, once you become aware that the main business you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Once your perspective changes, once you know your main business, everything else changes in our lives. So you have to go to that same question. What's your goal? What is your main business? As a parent, if you are a parent, what is the most important thing you want to pass on to your kids in all of life? What is that thing? As a friend, what's the one thing you want your friends to know you for and, and receive from you? What is the main thing? What's the one thing you're willing to give up for for the sake of Christ? Again, questions we will dive into in a moment. Verse 11 takes us to the next step from, or sorry, from, from uh, justification to sanctification to glorification. And it says this, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. That $10 Christian word glorification is basically the finish line. We will be made perfect. Because you're going to see here again as we read that he hasn't been made perfect yet. But Paul knows what the goal is. As a matter of fact, he wraps up the chapter, if you want to jump down to verse 20, says this, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. That right there is the end. That is the end goal that Paul is living for right now. That is the end goal we need to be living for as well right now. And then Paul goes on to say, as I said already, not that I've already reached that goal or I'm already perfect. Now, one of the things I think about with Paul is that he's so much further along spiritually than I am. He is so much more mature. He has such a better, and maybe it's like Facebook where you only see the good stuff written, all the bad stuff stays high. Nobody puts the bad stuff on there, you know, and, and maybe that's part of it. But the reality is, is that, as he is writing, he is talking about 
the fact that we need to be humble like Christ. Remember what he talked about in chapter two? He says that we need to keep pressing on for our goal, that we haven't arrived there yet. And he goes on, he says, but I make every effort. I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ. So why does he make every effort? Because Christ has him. Christ has come and has changed him. His, his whole perspective has changed. He realized my life is not my own because Christ has taken hold of it and it's his. Brothers and sisters, verse 13, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. If you underline things in your Bible, I suggest underlining that. One thing, he has a primary focus. Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly calling in Christ Jesus. This is a heavy-duty passage. There's lots of stuff in there. But the thing I love the most about this passage is, is that it comes to the forefront that Paul's a sports guy. I can relate to that. He has a little bit of arrogance and a little bit of confidence. I can relate to that. Paul's a sports guy. I can also relate to that. And as he's writing, he uses this imagery of all of the things that are going, this pressing on, this chasing after, this pursuing. He's going after the prize. But this isn't the only place he uses it. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, he uses the same type of imagery. Let me read it for you where it says this. Don't you know that the runners in the stadium, they all race, but only one receives a prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like the one who runs aimlessly or box like the one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and I bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. An athlete knows their goal. Paul, like an athlete, knows his goal. See, the athlete's goal is to do what? It's to win, right? It's not just to participate. It's to win. It's to, to win the prize. And so they're pushing on for that. And Paul's goal isn't just to win the prize, but he's pursuing that prize that is imperishable, that is Jesus Christ. And Paul and the Olympic athlete both understand the work and the effort that it takes to get to that place, to stay on target, to not fade and, and start losing and being distracted by all the things going on. A couple of years ago, uh, we were up in Colorado Springs, and we decided to take the family and go check out the Colorado Springs Olympic Training Center. They have a, a walkthrough. And, and I would challenge you if it's, I'm not even sure if it's open or allowing those kind of things or not up there in Colorado, but it is an impressive thing. You walk around the facilities, and in the, in the tour, they, they tell you about the, the regiment that these uh, Olympic athletes go through. And they, they, the, the time they wake up in the morning from the time they go to sleep, everything is fully scheduled for them from the meals that they eat to the calories that they intake to the time that they're working out to the time that they're doing their specific practices. All the things are given to them throughout the day and they do it for one reason. You know what it is? To win. They want to win gold. That's their goal. All these kids, and I say the word kids, but they're... they're 19, 20, 21, 22, all these kids, other than maybe the U.S. curling team. I don't know if we can include them. I'm not sure if you ever saw them. But everybody else that I've seen that's an Olympian, they are working their tails off for one goal. And in it, they're willing to give up everything else. 
All these kids aren't going out and partying. All these kids aren't going out and eating Dion's as much as I love Dion's. It's probably not the healthiest choice for an Olympic athlete. But as you break down each one of those things, you think, I, I can't do that, right? There's no way I could give up all those things that they give up for one gold medal. In order to succeed, though, they gave up these regular lives just to, to live on campus. And as we see here in the passage, as well as in 1 Corinthians passage, we do need to be willing to do the same thing. And when I say, I can't do it, you're exactly right. We can't do it, but that's where the power of the Holy Spirit comes in. That's where the, the power of the resurrection that, that he is so wanting to know comes in. As the Hebrew writer says in, in Hebrews chapter 12, we have to throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. Another sport reference. The things that we're running this race. The desire to do that is based on the answer to this question, though. Do you believe life with Jesus at the center is worth more than life without him? Is it worth the, the sacrifice? Is it worth all the changes? Because life with Jesus at the center is a life of pursuing him and not pursuing me. Not pursuing my desires because everything else is counted as dung. Can we say that about all the other things in our life? That everything else is secondary, is rubbish. All the world's accolades that you want for yourself, all the world's accolades that you want for your kids, all those things are secondary. We're living for Christ first. That is why we need to decide. Is he our end goal or not? Is he your end goal or not? Just like an Olympian giving up so much to win the prize, it's tough. But listen to the phrases and the language that Paul uses. He says, but the one thing I do, he has a singular focus, just like the Olympian has a singular focus of where they want to be at. Um, one thing I do. One of my former youth, uh, his name is uh, Brandon, uh, and he uh, is a cross-country runner, was all through high school, um, got involved in marathons and doing all that kind of crazy stuff like that. And I used to be like, why? And, and so uh, as, we, as we would talk back and forth, um, he would tell me, you know, that that's just what God gave him. Well, he now is a cross-country coach at a, at a school in Phoenix. And yesterday, their cross-country team, for the first time, won their, their state championship. And, and he put a long post just kind of praising his team for the work they put in. And one of the things he said in it is he said, there's a lot of things that went on behind the scenes. Early mornings of running, late afternoons running in the Arizona desert heat to get to this place where we could win. Why? Well, the why is because there's one thing. There's a focus. There's a singular focus. The one thing I do. And that one thing is, is forgetting what's behind. Forgetting all the things that get in the way, the wealth, the stuff, the accomplishments, the position, the work, but also the pain and the hurt. How many times do we not want to pursue a goal anymore because of pain and the hurt that happened yesterday? The failures, the problems, the anger. Remember how we talked about building up walls last week? Make every effort, he says. That means no excuses. Press on, continue in the fight, keep your eyes on the prize, pursue that prize. These are the words that he's using for us to keep moving forward. And the reason why is because I, I believe this. We will not pursue a prize that we do not truly desire. We will not pursue a prize that we do not truly desire. That's why I can't lose weight. I'd rather just buy bigger jeans. Because 
Losing weight means I have to work out, and it means I have to eat right. I don't like doing either one of those things. I have a weight system thing in my garage. I literally have to walk out the garage door, and there I am in my gym, and I still can't do it. I bought it off of Facebook, so it wasn't that expensive, so I don't feel like I've lost out on much, so it's all good, and I can always resell it. That, that's the thinking that goes through my mind. As a matter of fact, I'm like, well, Peyton's going to need a car. Maybe I should sell that thing, and then I don't have to have that excuse hanging over me all the time. And eating right, Brittany, I'm sorry to say this out loud. Brittany, she does a great job with, if you ever want to know how to eat right, talk to her. She, she knows all the nutritional stuff. She tells me, you aren't what you eat, you are what you eat eats. And I'm like, well, what I eat eats, it's gross. It's sugar. That's what it is, okay? That, that's, that's what gets me through. And those are the things that kind of get in the way. If we don't truly desire what we want, there's no way we're going to pursue after that goal. I mean, I have that vision of a tone fit body, but I'm just missing that actual drive to do anything about it. As a matter of fact, Andy Stanley, when he talks about vision, he says, a vision is a clear mental picture of what could be. I can picture what it could be but it's also fueled or driven by the conviction and passion that it actually should be. And that's what I think most of us fall apart at. I mean, we can even go back to the budget. I, I love the, the budget and the fact that ministry leaders are having to stop and think and pray over the why their ministry exists. I mean, they see their ministry under the umbrella of, of the, the mission of the church. And they are hopefully fueled by and driven by the desire to see that vision come to life of what it should be that next year we're not just doing things to do things but we're doing things for a purpose to bring people closer to Jesus because really when it comes right down to it our church mission statement if you see it on our website hopefully it's more than just a bunch of words on a screen or a bunch of words on a paper it is to passionately connect people with God and to encourage them in their next steps of following Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. That is why we do what we do. Seeing people connected with Jesus. Seeing people passionately pursuing Jesus. That's why I'm here. I've jokingly said it. I can do lots of other things for lots more money. But I like this. This is what God has called me to, to see lives changed. To see that encouragement and the continued growth. And Paul wanted people to grow in Christ. Paul wanted people to pursue him with their all. So you know what? He lived it. And as he lived it, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that was not a confidence or ego thing. It was see what I'm doing and mimic it. Because I'm doing my best to follow Christ because he is my one goal. And not just in words, but also in actions. That's why he says in verse 8, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That, that's what I chase after. My goal is to know him. That is his goal, period. That's what he lives for. That's why he is here. He says Jesus is worth giving up everything else for. Can we say that? Should we say that? For him, the prize was worth the price question for us is is the prize worth the price are you willing to give up are you willing to lay down are you willing to set aside are you willing to leave behind the things of the world for jesus is jesus worth it 
Is Jesus worth it? Can we, like Paul, say, my goal is to know him, and he's the reason why I do what I do? Can we say that? Because here's the thing. If, if Jesus is truly of supreme value, and he's worth better living life with than without, that means he's infinitely more valuable than anything else. I like how Paul uses the, the idea of the wreath, the, the prize. It wasn't even a gold medal back then. It was literally a wreath. Can you imagine how quickly that faded? And he uses that example to say, that's the things of the world. They, they, they fall apart. But Jesus is imperishable. And if he's supremely valuable, shouldn't that look like that in our lives? See, there's lots of churches out there that have the mission statement that so, simply says this. Kind of our motto is, come as you are, be changed, go change the world. Their motto is to know Christ and make him known. I know lots of churches that have that. And I think it's excellent. If everybody else didn't have it, I probably would have taken it. But I just, I'm just not like that. But here's the thing. A motto is just a, words on paper or words on a screen if we don't actually live it out. Do we actually want to know Christ and make him known? See, that word known there is so much more we're going to get to here shortly. But as we look at that, maybe we have to ask the question of why. Why is Jesus worth giving up everything for? Why is the prize worth the price? And those are tough questions, but I think we have to answer those as we look at the end goal in our lives. Why is life with Christ better than without? Why is life with Christ at center better? What's so great about belonging to Jesus? If we were gonna have a sit-down conversation and I asked you that question, what's so great about belonging to Jesus? you might come up with a quick answer, a cliche answer, because you've heard it your whole life and that's just the answer it is, but I really think we should think about that. I really think we should think deep about that because the cliche answers aren't gonna help people outside the church understand why we do what we do. They're gonna have to see it. And honestly, I think when the rubber meets the road in our lives, those answers may not be good enough for us either. And that's the reason why when the going gets tough, so many people abandon their faith. And I'm going to use that in air quotes. They abandon their faith and walk away from it all. Because if all you know are the things and the answers that you've heard and repeat, instead of taking a hold of them, as Paul talks about, and making them your own and making them a conviction of your life, when the rubber meets the road, and it will, you will question God. And there's a good chance you'll say, that's not for me. Because God, you don't know him. You just know what you think you know, and you walk away. That's why in John chapter 6, when Jesus is teaching, and his teaching gets tough, the crowds begin to abandon and walk away because they got too hard. But the disciples stay. And I love when Jesus turns to them and says, well, why are you guys still here? You know what Peter answers? He says in verse 68, Lord, where are we going? Where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. We know it. Not just know about it. Not just have some vague knowledge about it. We know that you are him. You are it, Jesus, and we're willing to give up everything for you. And guess what? They all would. Why should we be willing to give up everything for Christ? How is he better? How is Christ better? Well, I told you I see this passage really having three pieces to all of this to really encourage us in it. and the first thing he mentions in all of it is is that he's better because we get to have a relationship with the creator of the universe 
He is better because we get to have a relationship with the creator of the universe. We get to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And this is uh, a phrase that maybe kind of gets um, washed. Well, I have a personal relationship. Have you made Jesus Christ your personal savior? You know, we, we throw that word personal kind of around in the middle of all of that. And we forget how important that word really is, that we have an intimate personal relationship with the creator of the universe. Paul, when he uses the word no, it is an intimate term within a married context. It is a connected relationship term. I want to know him. I want to know his power. I want to be found in him. I want to share in his sufferings. This is a relationship type of thing that he is striving for. And he gets to have it. It's a deep personal relationship not know about not have knowledge of but to know closely that's why paul says because i know christ i know everything else is worthless i know everything else is garbage and here's another thing we see in the passage according to scholars as you as you look at all of paul's writings here in this passage is the only time he says christ jesus my lord Every other time he says Christ Jesus, our Lord, which is the, the overall arching of the, the, really the church, and then Christ Jesus is the Lord, which is the overall arching of everything. But this is the only time he says Christ Jesus, my Lord, that brings it down to why Jesus is better, because he has a personal relationship. Second thing we see in here is this. He's better because our righteousness, sorry, our righteousness is found in him. We covered this briefly, but really this is a huge thing for us to hold on to. There is no other way to heaven but through Jesus Christ. Not by my works, not by my accolades, not by all the things that I want to do, not by all the things that I can do, not by my pedigree, not because where I was born, not because of the wealth I have in this world. Nothing gets me to heaven except Jesus Christ. That is where my righteousness is found. Last week we talked about identity. Identity by God tells you who you are. Who are you? And it's not based on anything more than Jesus. See, God's opinion of you defines you. Nothing else. But there's another thing I want to add to that equation, okay? And that is this. Christ's death and resurrection defines God's opinion of you. See, sometimes we, we focus on one or the other in those, and if we focus on only one part of the equation, when we say something along the lines of, well, God's opinion defines me, and I can never measure up. And that is true. But then we add the second part of that equation to know that because of Christ's death and resurrection, that defines God's opinion of you, whether you've accepted that or not, whether you put your faith in that or not. We have to have them both. See, our righteousness is found in him, and that's why Christ is better. The last thing is, is that your death will be followed by resurrection. Your death will be followed by resurrection. I know that sounds, what makes that better? Well, we're all gonna die. We're all going to die, and dying to ourselves in this world and all the things of this world will be followed by resurrection. And when you live that way, you will view your life from an eternal perspective versus a right here, right now perspective. You'll be driven by this future and what's going to happen. I mean, that's what drives an athlete, right? Knowing that that is what's going to happen. Why do we exist? What's our purpose here? I love in Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, the first words of the book are, it's not about you. 
Right as you open the book, that's the first words that are on there. But if you look at the Westminster Catechism, it comes, boils down to the fact that we exist to glorify God. That's it. That's why we're here. That's why we live. And so if we're living for the glory of God, we have this hope that is in Christ and it helps us fight this good fight we've been talking about. It helps us press on because the things of this world won't. They won't. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that those who only have hope in the world are to be pitied by all men. Now, I grew up watching the A-Tim. And I always loved Mr. T, B.A. Baracus. And what did he say? I pitied a fool. I pity the fool. And I began to look it up, and I looked up the word. The word pity means to have sympathetic sorrow for somebody who's unhappy. Why are they unhappy? Because their hope's in the be long before you and I are put under pressure and have to give things up of this world in order to follow Christ the Philippian church they, they lived in a time that being a Christian was not advantageous it wasn't to their advantage they didn't go to church to be able to make the social connection so they could sell houses as a realtor I just threw that out there no sorry to realtors that you're not here for that reason I'm just saying that but you know th there are people that, that now go to church for the social advantage there was no social advantage and soon there will not be a social advantage it will not be to our benefit for this and as he said you guys are being hated and persecuted it's totally worth it and we're headed there but do we truly believe that that's where we can find our joy and not in all the things that are going to be taken from us? And that's why Paul wraps up his letter. In chapter 4, verses again that you probably have memorized along the way if you grew up in church. Verse 4 of chapter 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Find that joy. Let your graciousness be known to everyone because the Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell or focus on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me. And then even more importantly, what you have seen in me and the God of peace will be with you skipping down to verse 11 I don't say this out of need for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself I know how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot in any and all circumstances I have learned the secret of being content whether well fed or hungry whether in abundance or in need I am able to do all things through him who gives me strength those are verses that we can easily take out of context but if you want to drop it into context why does he say that because Jesus is his prize. If I'm living for Jesus, my perspective on everything else changes. As we look at that, I, I think about the words that, that people, Christian athletes write on their cleats or their shoes or their knee pads or whatever it might be. We find joy in the Lord because he's our goal. That's why we rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. We focus and dwell on the good things because he is our goal and he's changed the perspective. We follow the example of Paul because he's living it out and he's pushing and pressing on and he's passing it on to the people that are following him. We can be content no matter what because he is our goal. We can do all of this because he is our goal 
and we know him, and we know the power of the resurrection, which is that ability to have strength to get through these difficult times. The question today is, is life with Jesus better than life without him? And even more importantly, why? Are you willing to make him the goal of your life? Are you willing to make him known? Are you willing to know him and the power of his resurrection? It's a question that only you can answer, but I will tell you is a question that will shape the rest of your life, so I challenge you to answer it. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for today, and thanks for an opportunity to be in your presence, together with friends, together with family, together with each and everything that you have blessed us with. We're thankful for an opportunity to be able to gather together. We're thankful for the technology for people to be able to watch online. And thankful, God, that today we are challenged by your word. It's not an easy challenge. It's a challenge that each and every one of us are gonna have to think about, pray about, meditate on, and then move forward. Is the prize worth the price? God, you've made it abundantly clear that it is, but to live it out is so much more. We need your power. We need your direction. We ask for it today. We pray it in your name. Amen. I'm going to step over here off to the side. I'd love to pray with you. If you're struggling with something, if something that I said today is something that, that really kind of struck a chord, or maybe you even disagree, let's talk about it. I'll be sitting over here as we sing this last song.